Hello, and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. The World Health Organization has identified the workplace as a priority area for health promotion. Why then does the word work have such a negative and unhealthy connotation for so many people? Think about it. We spend so much of our adult lives at work. Why should it be in a role or in an environment that doesn't support our health and well-being? My name is Brian Crook, and I'm on a mission to make workplaces more positive places to be and to make our working day as healthy and productive as possible. Join me on the Work Well podcast as I interview workplace well-being thought leaders and industry professionals to discuss how employers, employees, and entrepreneurs can lead the way by creating and sustaining the healthy, safe, and well workplaces of the future. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the WorkWell podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with AJ Products, who are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions. Today on the WorkWell podcast, all the way from Auckland, New Zealand, I'm delighted to welcome Charlotte Lockhart. Charlotte is a business advocate, investor, and philanthropist with more than 25 years experience in multiple industries, locally and overseas. As founder and CEO of the four-day week global campaign, she works promoting internationally the benefits of a productivity-focused and reduced hour workplace. Through this, she's on the board of the Wellbeing Research Center at Oxford University and the advisory boards of the US campaign and the Ireland campaign for the four-day week. You may remember we had Joe O'Connor on the podcast a few episodes back, and Joe introduced us really to the, the four-day week movement, if you like. We had Brianne McGarry on recently as well from Ice Group. So it's a real pleasure now to have the founder of the campaign, of the movement, if you like, on the show today to dive even deeper into this really interesting subject. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Charlotte Lockhart. Charlotte, hello and welcome to the WorkWell podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. How are things for you? How's work and how's life in Auckland at the moment? It's a little different here. We're still in lockdown. Um, we're a bit behind the rest of you with all of our vaccination and things, but things are starting to open up. We're opening up a little bit more again on Tuesday. So, yep, getting into that post-COVID world. Very good. Yeah, th things seem to be changing so much, don't they? It, it felt like we were kind of behind here for a while, then we were ahead in terms of the vaccines. But yeah, like those lockdowns now, we're out of the lockdowns at the moment, but the, the case numbers seem to be on the increase. But I think we do have a high level of vaccinations, which is really helping things. So, so fingers crossed we'll all be out of, out of the woods soon enough. Yes. So tell us, Charlotte, you're head of the four-day week global. If you wouldn't mind, can you bring us up to speed on, on how you got involved and, and tell us a bit about the program? Four-day week global is basically something that Andrew Barnes and I set up after our very successful trial of a four-day week at Perpetual Guardian. And it was born out of the fact that when we travelled and talked to people, it was clear that there needed to be a construct that brought together all of the conversations around the four-day week. So we decided to establish this, and it's, it's effectively part of our philanthropy just on a global stage. So tell us, if an organisation listening in, a HR leader listening in, so what is, if you like, the standard for the four-day week? Or, or is there a standard? 
There's no standard. I mean, realistically, what we're talking about is reducing the work week. So therefore, for most businesses, the important thing for them is to find a way of reducing work time that best suits those businesses. One of the criticisms of the four-day week is people go, well, I can't close my business for a whole day. So my answer to that is, well, don't try. Find other ways to reduce time and value productivity. So at its heart, what we're talking about with businesses is how can you have an increased productive outcome and share the benefit of that by giving your people time off. Joe O'Connor, who's our mutual connection and a friend of the show, so he mentioned the 180-100 idea. And if if I remember correctly, so it's 100% of the pay, 80% of the time, but we're still looking for 100% of the productivity. Is that kind of the ethos, if you like, of the program? It certainly is. It was quite interesting because when we did the trial at Perpetual Guardian, Andrew was interested in a conversation with the staff around productivity and how we might increase productivity. And if we could increase productivity, could we then give our people time off? So it didn't come from a, I want to give my people time off thing. It came from a, a conversation around what is truly productivity in our business. And then as we went down the journey, we were like, oh, this is good for gender. Hmm. This is good for the environment. There's all sorts of these spin-offs that came to us that actually weren't part of the original intention and certainly hadn't been in our minds. You can apply it no matter how many hours you work. So if businesses find that they are actually working more than 40 hours a week, and I know that there's lots of businesses that realistically know that about their staff, and they go, well, I could never get down to 32 hours. They go, well, apply 180-100. What you're trying to do is reduce hours. How do we apply it to part-time people? 180 100. So the great thing about this rule is it just gives you that flexibility to find a way to increase productivity and reduce worker time without having to be too worried about what the actual individual numbers are. Yeah, sure. And I think the ICE group, we, again, we had Brianne McGarry, head of HR at ICE group on, on the show recently, first company in Ireland to go to the four-day week. And she was talking about the fact that they cover uh, six days. So they cover Monday to Saturday. The way it worked for them was they, I guess, I don't know what you call it, split shifts, but one person might cover the Monday to the Thursday as their four days. And then so another person with kind of the same role would share kind of that role, if you like, but they'd cover the Wednesday to the Saturday. So the six days are still covered, but every person in the team is working the four-day week. So it really depends on your kind of company and how you might fit this to your specific business. Exactly. And the same thing could be said for 24 hours a day, seven days a week businesses. It's about how you manage your shifts sure. so that you can give your people the right amount of time off. So this can you know, technically be applied to any kind of organization, frontline workers. Is that, do you need to maybe employ, you probably need to employ more people if, if this is the case. Would it be correct there? It depends on the organization. So what at its heart, what it is, is this is a process around understanding why we're truly there. When we go to work, what are we there for? In our post-pandemic world, we've let our work at home slide into the same things because we're all working from home and we continue to work from home. And so we've got this risk that has, well, it's not a risk, it's a, it's a reality where work time has actually increased because you know, workers on my laptop, on my kitchen bench. And so we're no longer working from home, we're sleeping at work. And so actually what this is, is it helps to solve that problem, understand what work truly is. Because actually, in my opinion, work isn't doing yoga with my workmates on Zoom. If I'm going to do yoga, it's with my friends. 
So it's about understanding the place of work in our lives and not letting that spread out past what it should do. Sure. And so this is at its heart, it's about businesses going through a process with their people at the heart of that to determine what is our core reason for being. And so therefore, when you do that, you can look at all of the different shifts, you can look at all of the presenteeism, you can look at actually how we actually increase it. And people often say, well, I don't know how I would do that in my business, but this is not a decision to be made from the C-suite. One of my biggest pieces of advice to business leaders is don't overthink this. This is something that your people have to solve for you. And by handing it over to the collective and getting people to do a pilot and experiment with what works, there isn't a single company, well, there there probably is, there possibly is, but most companies, when they go down this, they do a pilot and then they find the reduced hour work model that works for them through the pilot. That decision can't be made before you run the pilot because you've got to find out what works for you. Yeah. So that's not to say that it is easy in every business. But then, you know, there's lots of things that are just not easy. But at its heart, as a business, isn't having a program that focuses in on what is our core purpose and our core productivity. If you have a program that gives you that, it will release you from a whole pile of other stuff. That sounds a lot like the philosophy I promote for developing a well-being program, sustainable well-being program. It shouldn't just come from one person or team. You know, there should be a shared ownership for your your well-being program development across the organization. There should be, you know, feedback loops, inputs into the process of creating that shared vision for what's going on. So it sounds like that's it's almost exactly the same. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You can't do this. What business forgets, we get this us and them, that we've got the us or the C-suite and the them or the people or the other way around. And what what we forget is actually that that, that business doesn't exist without its people. And the C-suite won't have any jobs. There's no C-suite. You're just self-employed people if you don't actually have, have all your people. So you've got to make it a very collective us. And you've got to make sure that whatever program you put in place, is truly benefits your people. And this is the great thing about giving people time off because you can give me all of the employee benefits you like, and they all cost you money, by the way. So you can give me gym memberships and medical insurance and, and life insurance and this, that, and the next thing. You can give me all these benefits. They all cost you money, but they're all services that you have to contract. Giving me time is the one thing that I can spend appropriately because you, know, you, can, you can give me all the gym memberships you like. I'm not going to use it if I haven't got the time. So time is the one thing that people can spend in the way that is most truly meaningful to them. So they can spend it with their families. They can spend it with in the community, doing stuff for the community. They can spend it educating themselves. They can spend it making themselves well. There's all sorts of things that they can do. So it's about taking a lot of what work tries to give. I mean, you know, all of the tech companies with bean bags and food for Africa and all that sort of stuff. What you're doing is you're creating a whole pile of reasons to stay at work. What we want to do is create a whole pile of reasons to not be at work. At the same time, I'm sure people are more energized and ready to return to work than when they do actually return to the workplace. Well, exactly. So what we have to remember as employers is that we borrow our people from their lives. And so when we don't give them room to have a life because they're working long hours and commuting long hours and all of those things, and work is constantly on the kitchen bench now, 
then when people don't have a chance to have a life, then they forget how to have hobbies. They forget how to. But we know that having all of those things outside of work are good for us. This is not new news. So, so therefore, by giving people time to truly do things. Interestingly, you know, people will have heard about the successful Microsoft trial of a, a four day week. And they did three things. They had meetings no more than 30 minutes, no more than five people in the meeting, and please use micro, a lot more of Microsoft Teams, right? So three very simple things, and they got a nearly 40% uptick on their productivity. What wasn't so widely published was that they actually asked their people about three things outside of work. What are you going to do for yourself? What are you going to do for your family? And what are you going to do for your community? And it's about actually that need for people to be outside of work and giving them a reason. One of the saddest things that we hear, and you hear it no matter how nice your country is, people say, I'm not sure what I would do with the time. Yeah. And that's actually a sad indictment on our society because it's like so we've forgotten to have hobbies. We've forgotten how to use time away from work. And so by having a structured program that allows people to be away from work, then we give them all of that fulfillment about not being at work. But let's look at the fulfillment they get at work. If you have a really constructive day, you go home at the end of the day and you say to your partner says, oh, hi, honey, how was your day? You go, I had a great day. I got this report finished. I got that done. I got this done. I had a really great day. You can go to work for the same amount of hours and it's distracted by this and meeting runs over. It's, you know, it's far too long. You really didn't think you needed to have been there. Someone else was doing that. And that report is still on your desk. In fact, it's not in your desk. It's on your mind. And you're going to finish it after the kids are asleep because you didn't get to it. And so, honey, how was your day? Rubbish. And so, therefore, actually having a, a creating a workplace where people truly know why they're there and what their what their place in and how what what is valued by the organization actually helps them feel happier at work just because it's more meaningful. It really does. I mean, having a purpose is so powerful, isn't it? If you feel like you have a purpose going to work, there's an awful lot to be said for a productive day then at, you know, in a meaningful role. It's really valuable for the individual as well as then the organization as a whole. Yep. Have you found, Charlotte, that the, you know, the conversations almost every organization on the planet is having at the moment around hybrid working, remote working, and, and these kind of new ways of working, is that helping you know, the movement around the four-day week or or is that kind of confusing things that it's just an extra, you know, different kind of working models? So interestingly enough, most organizations were thinking about what was their future of work prior to the pandemic. So those future of work conversations, work streams with pretty much most large internationals and a lot of the smaller businesses as well. And, you know, and we had these whole, you know, uh, flexi working policies and things. And, and what the pandemic has done is two things in my mind. One is it's shown us that we can all just work from home. So that whole flexi work, remote working question has been answered. And so therefore, can I trust my people to to work when I can't see them done. So therefore, then it's a question of, okay, well, what are we going to do moving forward? But what has changed significantly for employers is that the people have a voice now. They don't expect to be told how to work. 
they want to be consulted as to what the new normal is. It's a big conversation in Ireland, but certainly it's quite big in the States and so there's, there is conversation in the UK around it, the great resignation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yeah, right. So people are going, no, I'm sorry, your workplace doesn't suit me. And it's that that we didn't have before. And I saw a lot in Ireland prior to the pandemic. I, you know, we'd be talking on our visits to Ireland and we, we'd come and people go, oh, that's great, but I don't think my employer will let me do it. I don't think our employer would be on board. And I'm like, well, go and work for someone else. So in a, in a country that has almost full employment, and you guys are clever, right? You, you're well-educated. But you, but for a large part, the big part of the economy is run by American organizations who are quite slow on the uptake with some of these things. So there was that sense of not being empowered to ask for change. That's changed. Yeah. Employers ignore consulting with their workplace at their peril. So whether it's about flexi and remote working or whether it's about reduced hours, the great thing about running a four-day week pilot in your organization or a reduced hour workplace a pilot is you actually get to truly look at what your what your company is doing and why it is there. And so, therefore, you can use that program to try a bit of continued remote and flexible and all these things. You can wash all of those up into a single pilot. You can use the way we run a reduced hour pilot to run an experiment around flexible and remote working and our new normal. In New Zealand, there's a piece of research that said that working from home doesn't suit 36% of the population which of course means that it does suit 64% of the population. (laughs) And my question to that is, when we all went to work before the pandemic, did it not suit 64% of the population even then? So the complexities of how we make a new workplace for our people can only be done in conjunction with them. And we have to sort the problem out. There is no... I deal with that later now because your people will deal with it later at a different employer. Yeah, I think they certainly certainly will. And they're voting with their feet at the moment here as, as well as elsewhere, as you've mentioned. And I was actually only speaking to the head of the a major recruitment body recently who was telling me that it's pretty much what they're hearing is if your organization has looked after you, has had these conversations with you over the last 18 months, people are a lot more likely to stay but it's the organizations that weren't having those conversations where they're seeing uh, quite a high attrition rate. But I don't think there's any real surprises there. And also, if people are looking to be hired by a company, this is the question. What sort of flexible or remote or reduced hour workplace can you offer me? It's a question that comes up in the interview now. I don't want to go work for someone that doesn't value those things. And Tammy, you, you mentioned a couple of times now the pilot or a pilot. Yes. I've been recommending, so especially if companies having the hybrid work conversation now and you hear like some companies kind of almost dictating, here's exactly what we're doing and how we're working. Whereas, I mean, I think they need, this is a pilot period, at least it should be for at least a year to see how things settle down. And then you maybe, you can have a, a formal policy on it. How would a pilot for the reduced working hours, how would that work? Would an organization do it? on an individual basis, or I know Joe O'Connor has been mentioning the Irish pilot, which is coming up very soon. And then there's indeed, he's working on the on the US pilot also, where there's quite a few organizations going through the process at the same time. You absolutely can do it on your own. 
Clearly, there are lots of companies that already have. Not so many in Ireland, but there are more and more. But certainly, there are plenty in the UK, US, Europe. There are lots of companies around the world that have just got off off their bottoms and, and just got on with it. However, what we decided was that by running a community program, realistically, this is about how we bring in companies and they can learn from each other. Because we can provide guidance and we can provide a structure for you to follow. This is how you do it. And one of the pieces of feedback that I've had from CEOs as they've done it over the years, it's quite a lonely place. And so they come to us for advice and they try and find others to to share with. But this gives them a community to be part of and they can share ideas and they can work collectively. And also, how are you handling when it's already a short week in the workplace? You know, different people handle some of these. Are you changing your employment contracts? You know, there's all sorts of ways that people do it based upon what suits their business. But being able to share those ideas with each other is really important. The other thing that we do alongside this, and which is really important for Ireland with the Irish program, is we're running research alongside it. So the company will get individual research about their experience that will help them. The research will also be around how their experience match them with others so they can benchmark themselves and see where they can improve or where they're doing really well and just pat themselves on the back. But more importantly, that research falls part of a national program of research, which will help the government and help other organisations see the way forward with this. And so it will be able to become part of the new normal. So this research is really important. That research project that has been developed in Ireland has been adapted for the US pilot. So we have the same research team working on that. And that will be adapted into the other pilots as we roll them out internationally. So what Joe has is doing, so Joe is our global pilot program manager and his role is we're going to run the Irish pilot, we're going to run the US pilot, and we're going to get together a great system and template so that other countries, when they want to come on board, they can. And it's really important for us is that what we're trying to do is just create a template and a program and the research capacity for for, for countries. And then we want those countries to then develop the program themselves in their country. I don't want to be colonialistic about this and going, right, we're going to sort the four-day week out for Israel or wherever (laughs) the next place, right? It is not for me to do that. It's for for countries to be able to do that for themselves and take ownership. It's a bit the same as, you know, if you want to run a four-day week in your company, you have to help get your people involved. Well, this is about how we help other countries. And so what we're going to do is roll out these two pilots, get the system going, and then we will be looking to roll pilots out in other countries in the second half of next year. Hey, everyone. A really quick note to tell you about our online learning hub, the Work Well Institute. If you're enjoying the episode today and are interested in learning more about well-being and work, then check out the courses we have on offer at workwellinstitute.org. You'll find programs for you and your colleagues on managing stress, how to boost energy, well-being champion training, and our flagship program for well-being leaders called Developing a Workplace Wellness Program That Lasts. There's a free preview available for all of the courses at workwellinstitute.org. Now, back to our conversation. 
Very good. And so these two major pilots coming up, hopefully get a, you know, a template from these pilots. Is it up to the countries then to approach you, jurisdictions, say, or companies to try and avail of that pilot and you'll kind of just offer that and they'll be available? Yeah, we've already got conversations going in a number of different countries. They're all going, can we do it now? And I'm like, can we just get that? If someone wants to put something up in a country that is entirely up to them, and we would certainly walk alongside them, what we want to try and do is give them something that means that we give them the best chance of success. Yeah. And as we pull together the research program, you know, that's going to be really important because the type of information that we can get out from this seminal piece of global research will be so important. And we want to make sure we're, we're plugging in researchers from around the world and that they are getting all of their people involved so that therefore it will be the main piece of research on this anywhere in the world. Fantastic. Yeah. And just thinking then, let's say an organization comes across this, uh, the pilot, they missed the boat on it, or they're in a jurisdiction where there's no kind of national pilot. What would a pilot look like for them? And hopefully the template is there. They can avail of that. But is there a time frame? If you want to just do it yourself, we are really happy for people to plug into us. They can just contact us through fourdayweek.com. It's very easy. Andrew has written a book on it as well. He wrote a book on his experience. And that is, I have to say, the best how-to guide on this. If you're really wanting to do it, just go on to the four-day week website. You'll find out where you can get the book yourself. You can get it as an ebook or as an audible, you know, and if you get it on audible, you get to hear Andrew read it to you. <laughs> so which is a good thing. You know, so there is there are resources out there. We are more than happy for companies to to touch base. We're just finishing off the recruitment for the US program. And then we're going to start up from the end of November, we will have fortnightly webinars that people will be able to just plug into and get more information and get more help. So therefore, those who don't want to wait for a program in their country can just plug into what we're doing internationally. Fantastic. I'll be sure to share all those links in the show notes. Lovely. Thank you. Is there any kind of statistics from your previous trials from the Perpetual Guardian work that people could read through? All that information is on our website. I mean, Andrew often says this is the best thing that he ever did in business. Just the things that people would say, I really love coming to work now. And the managers particularly, I really love so nice managing our people now. And it's all of those sort of things. So there's all sorts of statistics around reduced sick days and all of that data. But at its heart, don't we all just want to enjoy coming to work? Isn't that the workplace that you want to be? Is that not the employer that you want to be, is to have a workplace where people really just love coming to work? Now, that's not to say that they don't love coming to work now. You might have an amazing workplace and that's the thing. But you're going to always be in competition with another company that's offering less hours for the same pay. You know, once the pilot programs had its wicked way in Ireland, um, <laughs> you know, there'll be more and more companies that, are, that will be doing it. The competition to offer a better workplace yeah. will be real. Well, I'm really excited to see how it goes. Uh, I don't suppose you or Andrew have come across a solution for self-employed people or people who have their own business plus <laughs> run a social enterprise as well. Is there anything you can do for me there to reduce the eight-hour uh, working look, week, eight-day working week? I mean, <laughs> This is the thing. I mean, you know, your life's not terribly different from our own, actually. People <laughs> often say to me, so do you work a four-day week? And it's kind of like, well, it depends on your definition of work. <laughs> we are in a fortunate position, unlike most people, where we don't work in our business uh, 
on a day-to-day basis to, to earn our income. We don't work for wages or salary. And this is why it's so personally important to us is that because we have that privilege, we feel that it's really important for us to share this message and enable the Reduced Hour Workplace four-day week to be a real thing around the world and to, to help be part of that movement and change because otherwise we're squandering that complete blessing that we already have. So, as I say, the whole thing is entirely our philanthropy. And so my life is spent having really interesting conversations with people all around the world at ridiculous times of the day and night sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as Sandra often says, you don't get many chances to change the world. Sometimes when you're self-employed I and mean, you're looking at what is the change of the world, then it's about what are the boundaries you put around it, you know, and you say, right, I need this time away from it. One of the things we often say to to leaders is, you know, we get leaders who say, well, I have a struggle to, to do that, you know, because I'm too important. Right? But actually, where do your best ideas come from? Do they come when you're sitting at your desk typing away at some report or, you know, looking at somebody's performance or that thing. No, your best ideas come when you're walking along the beach or when you're in the shower or you're taking the dog for a walk or you're, you're in a, some yoga class. As we know that our brains need that downtime yeah. for our subconscious to come up with solutions. I'm a big fan of Cal Newport's Deep Work. Yes, the, Deep Work. Deep work, Work's classic. Amazing. Yes. I'm looking out almost on one of his examples. There's a guy called William Rowan Hamilton. He was a lecturer in Trinity College in Dublin, and he was based on Dunsink Observatory, which is kind of behind me here. And he was working on this problem for, for years, a formula, and he couldn't get it. But he was walking into Trinity College one day. It would have been a really long walk right along the Royal Canal here. And it just came to him while he was walking under the Broom Bridge. And he kind of etched the formula into the Broom Bridge as he was walking under it so he wouldn't forget it. And it was the formula for quaternion physics and it's still used in almost all mathematics today and that's from about 200 years ago and Cal gave it a mention in his book I love it yeah this is exactly it it is about actually understanding and again this is about where is the place in our work and part of the productivity conversation that you need to have with your employees is how you give them that time for deep work. And actually, there's some research coming out of Oxford soon where the, during the pandemic, one of the Barnes Research Fellow, Laura George, she did some research with an international company that gave part of their team the ability to do deep work for two hours in obviously the control route that just worked the way that they ordinarily did. And unsurprisingly, the people who were allowed to do deep work got more done. But interestingly, and this comes a little bit back to the how we were also before with flexible and remote working, how well people did within the deep work space was also very dependent upon how much their superior, their immediate superior, valued their deep work and left them alone to get on with it rather than disturb them because their thing was more important than your deep work. And so those who had team leaders that valued it got more done. And this is a little bit around why flexible and remote working hadn't worked in the same way as it should have prior to the pandemic is because it really depended upon most companies had a policy for it, but whether you got it or not, or whether you felt able to ask for it or not, really depended upon whether your team leader 
or the the, the decision maker valued it enough. Yeah, and trusted you, valued and trusted you. Yeah, well, and tr- but also whether they thought it was a reason. I don't want flexible enrollment. It's too hard. <laughs> you know, a bad manager is just not going to allow it because it's just too hard and I can't be bothered with the thought process around how I might make that work for my team. And so you would get inconsistencies within organisations around teams that were given it and teams that weren't. And it entirely came down to the mental agility of the team leader or managers. And speaking of that, it sounds like, you know, a particular challenge I'd imagine you've encountered with certain managers or certain organizations who just really didn't, maybe didn't get it. What are some of the kind of the pitfalls or or challenges that companies should watch out for if they're interested in, you know, going down this reduced kind of working hours model? Firstly, there's the quote that's often attributed to Henry Ford, which is whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> right. So what the leadership team need to do is they just need to decide that they want to give it a go. They want to decide that they want a productivity-focused workplace and they're going to hand the experiment over to their people and then get out of the way. So the pitfalls are often trying to overthink it, trying to make too many decisions from the C-suite, and too many decisions from the C-suite ahead of the trial. Pitfalls around not being agile and going, okay, so it's not quite working like that. So, for example, you might all have decided to take Fridays off. That's not working for our business. We're going to need to do some sort of hybrid, whether it might be just something like Ice Group do where they have two different days off in, in the week, or you might just go five days a week 32 hours, or you might do what we do at Perpetual Guardian, where people kind of choose the time off that they want. So we're an organization of about 250 people. So we have quite varying departments. And so what people choose to do is what is the time off that best suits the employee, best suits the customer for that department, and best suits the needs of that department or team. And so therefore, when you look at those, plus also can maintains productivity, obviously, because that's at its heart, that you don't get to have all of this if we keep productivity starts to slide. So at its heart, you're you're letting people choose the right sort of time off that suits them. And so we have people who take whole days off or two half days off or finish early so they can be at home with the kids at the end of the day. We've got one chap who comes to work at 10 o'clock in the morning, having walked his daughter to school. And I challenge any father out there who wouldn't want that time, the opportunity to walk their young child or children to school. It's such a precious time. I do. I bring my daughter every day to school. Love it. Yes. And you have structured your life so you can have that. But often for employees, that structure isn't something that is for them to determine. So what you're doing is you're creating a workplace that allows them to determine the right sort of time off. And so therefore, he will fight tooth and nail to keep his walking in the morning. So he'll work hard. So it works for the business because he's got a benefit that he truly values. We've got another grandfather who has his granddaughter two afternoons a week. Oh, who wouldn't want I challenge any grandparent out there to not be able to have that privilege and that pleasure. We have there's another chap who was who took Wednesdays off, studying for his master's in law, took Wednesdays off and used it as a full study day and just got all of his work done. He treated it like a work day, get in there full study day. He said, you know what it's done? It's given me back my weekend because when I was working five days, I would do a little bit on Saturday and a little bit on Sunday. And it was always on my mind over the weekend. Now I go hard at it on the Wednesday. I've got my weekend back. 
And so therefore, it's kind of like giving people one day has given them two days. It works really well with people who are struggling, whether it's a mental or physical health issue. Actually giving them a Wednesday off is a perfect way of getting a full productivity out of somebody who is struggling to do it otherwise. Because if they have to work five days, by the time they get to Friday, they are exhausted. They're probably very unproductive for you by the time they get to Friday, assuming that they haven't had to take it as a sick day anyway. And then they spend their entire weekends recovering so they can come back to work for you like some schmuck on a Monday. But actually, if you give them Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday off, and then Thursday, Friday, they're only working two days at a time, and they can get the appropriate amount of rest. And they are more productive for you in that time. They will recover faster in that time. They will be better people inside and outside of work in that time. It sounds like it's just so good for focusing the mind on the tasks at hand. It is. And maintaining productivity, but increasing the efficiency and reducing kind of the wasted time, which we're all familiar with, I'm sure. It just sounds like there's that incredible focus. Other tip about this, of course, is that like any other business improvement program and any other program that includes your entire staff, this is not a set and forget. The companies that do this find that they do have to keep working on it. It's like losing weight. You can't just lose weight and then go, right, that's good, and go back to the old eating habits. You actually have to focus in on maintaining a healthy lifestyle. And so this is about focusing in on maintaining a healthy workplace. And so don't expect that it's going to be a set and forget. But then so many other things that we do in business are not set and forget anyway. So this is just one that's going to ensure that you have a great workplace. And and speaking of maintaining a healthy lifestyle, you've clearly got a a busy role or number of roles there, Charlotte. How how do you manage or do you manage to spend time on on your own well-being? Well, I do. I actually have a slight issue in the fact that I've actually got incurable cancer. Oh, my God. I mentioned that only because I'm forced to take rest and take time for myself and focus on my health because, you know, I've got this going. I'm not sure I necessarily did before. And perhaps that's half the reason why I find myself in the situation that I am. But we do. We uh, Andrew and I spend a lot of time without our phones or without our iPads. We love walking along the beach and actually getting away time. We try and put some structure around time off for ourselves, but we've got also got lots of really exciting things. And the great thing about this little cancer bug thing that I've got is it's really focused our minds on making sure that we're just doing the things that really give us joy. Wow. Uh, So we've got all sort of merry kudo on our lives (laughs) as opposed to on our houses. So yes, we look at whatever brings us joy. Wow. That's amazing. And thanks for sharing that with us. And Sounds like you're giving so much back, as you said yourself. So this the four-day week global, it's a not-for-profit. It's a philanthropic movement. So it's it's out there for people to avail of and, and to avail of all the services there. And you're giving it back. Absolutely. By running these pilot programs, what we're doing is we're giving ourselves a structure that will enable us to have scale around helping organizations do it around the world. Fantastic. Listen, we'll share all those resources uh, that you've mentioned. Lovely. Thank you. I'm a believer already. I'd love to see more and more organizations sign up. When this episode comes out, there'll still be time for companies to sign up to the Irish pilot and to the US pilot as well. So we'll share all those links and we'll try and encourage as many companies and people to get involved with this.
Great. It would be lovely for Joe or I to come and talk to you once we've started the Irish Pilot and share how the journey is going. Maybe bring along some of the companies that have joined in. I would absolutely love that. We're looking forward to getting back to in-person events next year. So if, if you're in town, you'd be more than welcome. We'd love to, we'd love to host you. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. We will definitely do that. We'll be back up in the Northern Hemisphere in March. Oh, fantastic. So we'll see you then. Well, look forward to that, Charlotte. Thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. All right, Brian. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Brian here again. A big thank you for listening right to the end of this episode of the WorkWell podcast. This podcast has been brought to you with thanks to our partners, AJ Products who are leading the way in ergonomic and active workplace furniture solutions at ajproducts.ie. Original music that you're hearing right now was composed by my friend Greg Clifford. You can check out the website workwellpodcast.com where you can access show notes for each episode and also find all our previous episodes. I would love if you could head over to iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. A reminder, you can head to workwellinstitute.org to check out the education programs that we have on offer. You're welcome to share this episode with your friends and colleagues so they too can discover and benefit from the content. And finally, if you have any suggestions for future topics you'd like to hear in the show, you can email me directly at brian at workwellpodcast.com. Remember to work well, stay safe, and I'll see you on the next episode.